Good morning. Good morning. God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. Activists, politicians, addicts, immigrants, or even like these 49er fans. <laughs> I give money to the church every month. I, I give money to the homeless. I give money to the Girl Scouts when they bring me cookies. God, have mercy on me, a Mariners fan. <laughs> we see this story here in Luke 18. We're in a series right now uh, looking at parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And we've been looking at these parables to learn how we can think like Jesus. And the big idea that I want us to walk away with today is this. If we're to think like Jesus, we must have a true and healthy view of ourselves. We must have a true and healthy view of ourselves if we're to think like Jesus. And so I want us to walk through this story here and, uh, and look at it in depth here and see what we can take away today and how we can learn from what God and Jesus are trying to tell us right here in Luke chapter 18. If you'll notice the first verse with me in Luke chapter 18, verse number nine, it says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Here we see the setup. Here we see Jesus, or actually the, the, the writer of Luke, which is uh, the, the Luke, uh, the, the doctor, uh, who, who was a follower of Jesus, kind of passed uh, beyond the resurrection. Uh, he gives us the, um, the audience. He gives us who Jesus is speaking to, much like we saw last week when Pastor Josh preached uh, the first uh, text here, the first parable in this chapter. We see uh, he indicates who Jesus is is speaking to. He kind of gives us an introduction to this parable. And we see that Jesus, he was often teaching uh, two crowds of people, yes, but even within the crowd, he would often speak to a specific group of people. And we see that that's exactly what we find here in this parable as well. Oftentimes, uh, Jesus was, uh, he was in this, in this moment, he was speaking to the Pharisees or to an, a religious elite group of people uh, because we, can, we, can, we see that because it says that, that uh, he told this parable to some, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. These are people who thought, man, I've got it all together. I'm good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of God. I do all the things that he wants me to do. And yet, not only was Jesus speaking to those people on this day, but the lesson that he taught, the parable that he told, was also for the rest of the people in the audience as well. And I would also say that Jesus was speaking to us thousands of years later. It's recorded here in Luke. So we can learn from this parable as well. And the point here that Jesus is trying to make is to those who trusted in themselves. One commentator would say that these were people who were pleased with their performance. They were pleased with the performance that they, were, uh, that they had as followers of God. They were, uh, they were doing really, really well. They were pleased with how uh, righteous they were. You see, religious systems all over the world for centuries have taught uh, and proclaimed their beliefs about how you can attain eternal life or immortality or nirvana. 
For millennia, people have taught and believed that religion, and, and the, from the most basic tribal understanding of good and evil to the most complicated mystic teachings that are out there today, there is usually one common thread. And that is, these systems are built and predicated upon living a certain way, doing certain things. Your salvation is based on what you can do. It's based on you observing the commands and the rituals and the teachings and the the sacraments of this, whatever system it might be. If you follow that system, if you believe a certain way, if you do certain things, then you can have salvation. Then you can reach immortality. You see, religion is based upon the word do. Religion says, do these things. Follow these commands. Obey these steps, and you'll be just fine. Religion says, do. And the Jews in Jesus' day, they also followed a complex religious system filled with prayers and rituals and laws and sacrifices and a rigid lifestyle. I mean, just look at the Old Testament and and do a, a casual reading, and you'll see that it was filled with all of these things that they had to do. And their life was filled uh, with these rituals and sacrifices. And many of these laws and practices were only meant to be in place temporarily until the Messiah came, until the promised one was to come to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. We see Jesus actually even said this about himself in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse number 20. Jesus finishes that by saying, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So here we see Jesus talking about these laws and practices, these, these rituals, these sacrifices that the, the Jewish people were used to doing. And then he says, Unless you can, unless your righteousness, unless your performance is better then the scribes and Pharisees who are at the apex of Jewish faith, if, unless you can uh, do better than them, you're not gonna get into the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying? Uh, basically, it's hopeless, it sounds like. Uh, we can't, it's impossible for us to do that. I mean, these people are, are they, they're doing everything right. They're, they're following things to the T, dotting their I's, crossing their T's, if you will. They're, they're doing everything Right, and what Jesus was trying to help people understand, it was, yes, it is impossible. It is impossible for you and for me to get into the kingdom of heaven on our own. There is no righteousness of our own that we can do to attain eternal life in and of ourselves. And Jesus was telling the people here that that they needed to understand that Religion and and righteousness is not about doing. And so maybe you're here today 
And maybe you have been following a religious system that is all about doing things. And, and maybe if you just do enough good things, that'll outweigh the bad things in your life and you'll make it. You'll be fine. If you just do enough good, you'll be okay. You'll make it to the good place. Or maybe you have chosen to follow Jesus and you believe in Jesus as your Savior, but you have tied your acceptance with God and your identity in Christ with your performance as a Christian. You think that somehow I, I have to, to do certain things and live a certain way if God's going to be happy with me. I have to live a certain way so that God will love me and not be mad at me. And I think this parable today will speak to both of those ideals this morning. As we begin to unpack this, I hope that, that if, if either of those is true of you, I hope that you'll see from God's word today how we ought to think more like Jesus. So verse number 10, we see the scene. Verse number 10, we see the scene that Jesus begins to paint, the picture that he begins to paint for the people here as he begins to tell this parable. It says this, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Two men went up to the temple to pray. This was a, a daily thing. In, in, in the Jewish faith, there were three primary times to pray, that you would go to either a synagogue or to the temple to pray. You had morning prayer at nine o'clock. There, there was afternoon prayer at about 3 p.m. And then uh, there was evening prayer at six o'clock or at sunset. And so one of these times uh, is when these men went to the temple to pray. And oftentimes uh, there would be a prayer uh, or a book of prayers that would be read. There would be a kind of a corporate time of prayer. And then after that, they would often be followed by personal prayer. This is, so this is a regular occurrence for people in this day and age. This is something that would happen every single day. And, and here we see that these two men went into the temple, and, and one of them is kind of understood. We, it, we expect to see him there, and that's the Pharisee. The other, maybe not so much. Have you ever walked into an establishment that you immediately just felt out of place? You ever been there before? You ever just walk in somewhere and just immediately feel like, I don't know if, I'm, if I belong here, right? If, I don't know if I feel welcome here. Maybe you, maybe, hopefully you don't feel that way here this morning. Hopefully you, you feel welcome here and you feel like this is a place that, you're, that you can call home. Maybe you're just here because of the AC this morning. Hey, that's wonderful. That's great, okay? Uh, but I remember several years ago, about uh, eight years ago, Leah and I decided to get a gym membership for the first time in our marriage. And, uh, and so we walked down to the gym and, and, uh, and, and walked inside and, and, and started talking to the, the, the sales rep, the membership rep there about getting a membership. And, and, and so we were looking to do that as a couple. And, and as I was kind of sitting there talking, I just began to look around at the gym. Maybe you've been there, right? You, you begin to look around and you begin to, to just casually view the people who are there. Man, it looked like a pickup NBA game was happening out on the gym floor playing basketball. It looked like there was a, a bodybuilding competition at the bench press station. It looked like everybody else in the gym was obviously training for a triathlon. And, and here I am just like totally feeling like I am I, man, I, I don't belong here. This is, this is not, if, if you think I'm skinny now, you should have seen me eight years ago, okay? Uh, I, was, I was nothing, okay? I was just like, I, I couldn't gain weight if I tried, okay? And, uh, and so here I was thinking, man, this is, 
This is kind of daunting. This is, this is not really a comfortable environment for me. This is, this is not, I don't know if this is gonna work out. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you felt that way at first time on a job or first day at school or I don't know, maybe you walked into a golf shop for the first time thinking I'm gonna start playing golf and you're just overwhelmed, right? By all that, that is there and, and all that, 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 that you have to take in. And we see here this tax collector, uh, this, this guy who was probably a bit out of place. You see, the Pharisees, they were a group of religious elites, if you will. They were a group of, of political and religious experts that uh, they had this group of, of people, this sect, if you will, had formed during the Testaments. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you know Jewish uh, history a little bit, the, the, the Maccabean Revolt and all of those kind of events that kind of culminated, the Pharisees were formed during that time. And so here was this group of people, and, and, and what they believed was that all the Jews had to observe the purity laws, which applied to those involved in worship at the temple. So they, they thought, Everybody should be following this, not just those involved in temple worship, but the entire country. Because why not, right? If everybody's doing this, then it's just all that much better, right? And so they, they, began, to, uh, they began to teach and, and instruct and hold people accountable to things uh, that they weren't necessarily supposed to be held accountable for. Jewish historian Josephus noted that the Pharisees were considered the most expert and accurate expositors of Jewish law. These men knew the Torah. They knew the law. They knew the law and the prophets. They knew what we call the Old Testament uh, better than anyone. They were the experts. And, and they were often viewed very popularly amongst the, the culture. They, they were viewed as the celebrities, if you will. They were viewed as the people who were uh, the, the, the cream of the crop, the, the, the best of the best. Uh, they were held in very high regard. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, the tax collectors uh, were despicable people. They were traitorous. They were, they were vile extortioners. They were viewed as the worst in Jewish society and just a step away from being Gentiles. They were villains, if you will, of the culture. And what you have to understand is they, they, they weren't as bad as the IRS. I mean, they, they weren't the IRS. Uh, they, they, they were a bit different. And so they would, they would profit from, they, they, were, they were shrewd business people who would profit from the Roman occupiers. And they would, they would profit by collecting more money than what was necessary. The Romans would say, hey, such and such is the tax. This is the amount that needs to be collected from each individual. Well, they would collect more and then pay the Romans what they needed to pay and then just keep the rest for themselves. And what I found fascinating is I was studying uh, the tax collector and kind of the, uh, the, the culture of the day is they would literally tax everything. You crossed a bridge, you paid a tax. You, you, you obviously bought something, you paid a tax. You, 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 bought, you, you got on a ship, you pay a tax. You buy a, an animal, you pay a tax. I mean, it was just like literally everything you did, you had to pay taxes on. It was, it was crazy. And so these people, these tax collectors, and there's, off, there's several of them that are, that are famous in, in Scripture, in the Gospels, right? We know about Zacchaeus. And, and actually, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was a former tax collector. And so we see here these people, this, this group of people in society would have been very, uh, they would have been looked down upon uh, by, by society. They were, they were villains. 
And you could probably hear, as I imagine, as Jesus was kind of beginning to, to share this story, as he begins to talk about two men went up into the temple to pray. Now, one, a Pharisee, I could, oh, yeah, yeah, Pharisee, yeah, yes, absolutely. And then you could probably hear audible boos from the crowd, as he said, and the other was a tax collector. Boo. You know, it was just like that was... That was the idea in society here uh, about these, these people. And those in the crowd who were, who were new to Jesus' teaching, they probably thought, oh man, oh yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna applaud the Pharisee. He's gonna really, he's gonna get, get on them about how great they are and about how good they are. And those of, that had been around Jesus for a little while they probably saw what was coming. They probably knew, oh man, and I'm sure Matthew, right, the former tax collector, he was just rubbing his hands like, oh man, I can't wait. This is gonna be good. Jesus is gonna get on those Pharisees. And, uh, and so we, we probably see a little bit of the tension there that Jesus is trying to draw out. Yeah, maybe that's just my mind that thinks that way. I don't know. Uh, but, but Jesus is about to drop a bomb right here on the Pharisees. So here we see in Luke chapter 18, verse 10, this scene. And notice verse 11 now, as we get into kind of the meat of this story, we see the superiority of the Pharisee, the superiority of the Pharisee. It's on display. Notice the audacious way that the Pharisee begins praying about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You ever prayed like that before? Anybody ever started a prayer like that? God, I just thank you that... I'm, I'm not like these other people and that I'm sitting next to today, you know, like, whew, God, thank you. And you could tell why this Pharisee had come to the temple. I believe you could tell that he came not for God's, not, not for God's sake, but for his own sake. You see, he knew it was a public time of prayer. He knew that, man, this was a prime opportunity for me to show my stuff for me to, 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 for everyone to see how great of a person I am. He came so that other people would applaud his devotion. This was purely an appearance of self-satisfaction and self-importance on, on behalf of the Pharisee. And we see, actually, Jesus spoke a lot about the Pharisees. You can read over and over and over again in the New Testament uh, what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees. But I want us to look at a specific passage today in, in correlation with Luke 18. If we go to Matthew 23, notice what Jesus says about the Pharisees here in Matthew 23, verse number two. It says, the scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you. And observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. So Jesus says, do what they say because they have the authority and they're in the, the, the role of, of Moses and they're carrying on the traditions and they're doing all of that. So do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't actually, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, that they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Notice what it says here in the next verse. They do everything to be seen by others. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. 
And now we know why everybody doesn't like sitting in the front row, okay? So here we see that, that, that the Pharisees loved the attention. They did everything to be seen by other people. And on display for us right here in 4K is a obvious example of narcissism, pride, and arrogance. And Jesus would often use extremes in his teachings to kind of show you very clearly and obviously what he was talking about. And we see here the Pharisee in this passage, but I wonder if we see ourselves as clearly. Do we see in ourself, or maybe it's a little bit more subtle, this behavior in our own life, the, the pride and the arrogance and the narcissism. And I believe that we can see from, from the Pharisee here this morning very quickly two evidences of pride. Two evidences of pride that I want you to, to begin to, to think about your own life. And are these evident in any way of yourself? Before we start throwing stones at the Pharisee, let's, let's hold on a second and let's think about ourselves. The first evidence that, I, that, that, that we see here from the Pharisee is absolute trust in ourselves. Notice what he said. Again, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not greedy, I'm not unrighteous, I'm not an adulterer or even this tax collector. I, I have absolute trust in myself. I know my actions, I know my abilities, I know my availability. Man, God, I am, I'm all good. And oftentimes, I don't know if you're anything like me, but we have a hard time identifying our weaknesses. Ever taken like a, personality test, or maybe you're interviewed for a job and somebody asks you, hey, so you know, what, what are your strengths? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm good at this, and I'm good at that, and I can do this, and I can do that. No problem. Okay, what are your weaknesses? Uh, weaknesses. Uh, anybody ever have a problem with that? Right? Yeah. We, we, we're so easy to jump in with, man, what we're good at and what, we're, what our strengths are, but then when it comes time to think about, wait a second, weaknesses, blind spots, problems? Me? No. Come on, right? And so oftentimes we, we can miss identifying our weaknesses. Oftentimes we see our virtues. We see the good things about us, and yet we see vices in other people, right? We don't see our own. We, see, we can see them in other people's lives. We can see them out there across the street or across the aisle or in the, you know, in the other person's car. We can see somebody else's vices, and we oftentimes miss our own. Here is the pride, the arrogance that we see on display from the Pharisee. And I want us to just think about our own lives. Do we have absolute trust in ourselves? We keep score, maybe, of the righteous deeds that we do, like, like the Pharisee did. We're going to get to that in just a second. We keep score, right, of all the, the, the wonderful things that we've done for God. The, the, the second evidence that I think we see here of the Pharisee is we take an, there's an utter disregard and disrespect for other people. It's not enough for us to just kind of lift ourselves up, right? But we have to like step on other people to get there, right? God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, not like this tax collector, right? It's not enough for us to take pleasure in our own good deeds, but we take pleasure in the unrighteousness of others. We take pleasure in the evil that other people do because, man, they're gonna, they're gonna get it. They're gonna be corrected for that. We compare our lives to those around us, often our good with their bad. We say things like, well, at least I'm not like, 
so-and-so. At least I'm not as bad as this guy. Or at least I don't do this little thing at work. At least I didn't cheat on my test like this person does. And so we, we, we tend to keep score. We tend to heap upon ourselves righteousness and we, we heap evil and unrighteousness and disrespect on other people because it makes us look better. And if the Pharisee's superiority wasn't enough, he continues. And we see next the swagger of the Pharisee. The swagger. Yes, I had to choose an S word, okay? I apologize. Verse number 12, we see here, the, the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Here again, we see the pride, the arrogance, the self-righteousness. God, you should really be thankful for me. Man, God, you are blessed to have me on your team. Look at all I do for you. I don't know how you would do it without me. I go above and beyond what any of your followers do. You asked your people to fast once a year. Guess what? I fast twice a week. You require tithes from all of our increase, but I tithe everything, including the herbs that I grow in my garden. God, isn't, aren't I just so wonderful? God, I don't know what to say except you're welcome. And back in Matthew 23, we're going to go back there for just a second. We see Jesus really attack the Pharisees' hypocrisy with regard to the matter of kind of this idea of their swagger, okay? And in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says to the Pharisees here, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth or a tithe of mint and dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You pay tithes of your herbs, which is fine, okay, which is okay, uh, but you've neglected the most important things. You've neglected the matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. And I love that word picture. <laughs> you strain out the littlest, tiniest bug. I had one in my, my water bottle this morning, okay? I didn't drink it, all right? I strained it out, right? But, it, but we, we gulp down camels. And when we don't have a right and healthy view of ourselves, we can very easily begin to neglect what is most important. When we walk in swagger, instead of walking in the spirit, we seek our own platform instead of promoting his, just like this Pharisee did. And instead of seeking justice and loving mercy and walking humbly, we strain at gnats and splinters and miss the beams and camels in our lives. We can do this at church, at home, at work, at school, wherever you live life. We can miss the most important things because we're so focused on the minute details. You see, the Pharisees live to impress the crowd. However, impressing the crowd doesn't impress Christ. Impressing the crowd and doing everything to be seen of others is not impressive to the one to whom it really matters. So let's look right now at verse 13 and see the opposite in this story. We see in verse 13, the sinner. The sinner. You see, the tax collector stood off in the distance 
away from the crowd, away from the noise, away from uh, everyone, and, and he wouldn't even look to the sky. He, he just, he looked down in humility, and it says that he, he beat his chest, he struck his chest. This was not like a, man, look at me, I'm so good, right? This was just a, like, this was actually a, an act of humility and contrition in, in Jewish tradition, where someone would just strike their chest, out of humility. This is, a, this is where we find the tax collector. He came that day not to, not to be seen. He came because he had seen. He saw a powerful and merciful God and realized that he could never measure up. And here we find him coming to God in humility, understanding his need. You see, humility comes when we look at God and then look at ourselves. Humility comes when we look at God and then look at ourselves, not when we look at ourselves and then at everyone else. The tax collector didn't say, God, I thank you that I'm not a narcissist. I thank you that I'm not a Pharisee. I thank you that I'm not proud and arrogant like these guys over here. He realized he had no merit of his own. He had to rest in God's mercy. You see, the temptation can be the same. The temptation can be the same for the tax collector as it is for the Pharisee. The temptation that we can compare our humility with someone else's pride. But we see that the tax collector didn't do that. He didn't compare. He didn't start looking around and trying to keep score. He looked up and saw his need. You see, someone who doesn't have an accurate view of themselves will compare. Someone who doesn't see themselves for who they are, they'll, they'll compare themselves with other people, like we see the Pharisee did. Those that know where they stand, those that see themselves accurately, they confess. They confess who they are. The Pharisees keep track of their righteousness. They keep track of all the good things that they've done, all the good deeds. Sinners have lost track of their unrighteousness. We don't even know how many times we have failed. Pharisees forget their need, but sinners accept that they need God's mercy and God's grace. Now, imagine with me had I walked into that Jim, eight years ago, thinking that I was God's gift to the workout world. Man, I was gonna come in and show all those trainers, show all those athletes, show everybody in that gym uh, what was, how they, they were gonna work out. I was gonna show them a new routine. I was gonna just, just go at it with them. And I was just, I was wearing all the brand new Gymshark uh, uh, gear and apparel. I had brand new Nike running shoes on. Got my Apple watch on. I mean, I'm dressed to the nines. I'm coming into that gym, gonna show these people what's up right? And I had, it wouldn't have, it, I may have looked the part. No, actually I didn't because I was like 150 pounds soaking wet. So like I, I didn't look the part, but maybe I dressed the part, okay? I dressed the part. I, I, I looked like I knew what I was doing. It wouldn't have taken long for me to have been exposed. It wouldn't have taken but a minute at probably the bench press or the squat press or whatever. I don't even know what they're called. See, you're not following with me right now, okay? But, but it wouldn't have taken very long for me 
to have been exposed as being out of place. I needed help. I needed, I needed someone to show me. I needed someone to take pity on me and show me how to begin working out, to begin exercising in that way. And the same is true as we understand an accurate view of ourselves. We need God and his mercy because we can't do it on our own. We might look the part. We might look the part when we come to church. We might look the part at work. We might look the part at school. We might look like we have it all together. We might look like we are righteous and in a good place and doing really well. But guess what? God knows the truth. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself today, but I want you to understand this, that when we have an accurate view of ourselves and we accept that, we understand that, and we come to God, we see in verse 14 the salvation. We see the good news, the salvation that God gives. In verse number 14, here's what it says. I tell you, this one, the tax collector, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, salvation begins when we stop attempting to justify ourselves and we humbly recognize our sin and our shortcomings. And this is true. If you haven't believed in Jesus dying on the cross yet, if you haven't become a believer in him yet, this is true. And it's also true uh, for those of you who have believed and received the gift of eternal life. Each day, we can choose to live in light of the gospel. That the life of following Jesus is not based on your performance. It's not based on all of the good things that you've done. The good news of the gospel is that it's all about him. You see, Christianity is different. Believing in Jesus is different than all of the other faith systems and religious systems in this world. The word that they want you to know is do. But Christianity is predicated upon the word done. Jesus has done everything that there needs to be. Everything that needed to be done, Jesus has done it. He said on the cross, it is finished. The work that needed to be done to rescue you and I, to bring you and I to himself, it was done. As we wrap up today and as the band begins to make their way to the stage, I want us to look a little closer just at this simple principle that Jesus shares at the conclusion of the parable today. Notice what it says here again in verse number 14. It says, but everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This phrase is recorded by Jesus. The words of Jesus are recorded three times in him saying this in the Gospels. We see it here in Luke 18. It's also in Luke 14, verse 11, and in Matthew 23, 12. And it's very likely that each of these times he said it to the same type or group of people. Each time he said it to those who were morally righteous, to those who were the religious or political experts, the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite, each time Jesus said this phrase, more than likely it's to this group of people. You see, what Jesus was trying to help them understand is that in his upside down kingdom, you didn't exalt yourself, but the way up is down. 
The way to be exalted in the kingdom of God is to humble yourself. If you live humbly, you'll be exalted by God. We find this principle of humility over pride all throughout Scripture. It's there all throughout the Bible. We see it uh, from the Old Testament stories to the wisdom in Proverbs to Jesus' own teaching and then his followers' writings. Uh, Peter and James specifically talk about this in their letters to churches as well. And look at what 1 Peter says in in chapter 5, verse number 5. Peter says this, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. You see, when we humble ourselves before God, when we, if we want to think like Jesus, we have to have a true and healthy view of ourselves. If we are to think like Christ, We must have a true and healthy view of ourselves. We must see us for who we are. Seeing God for who he is should lead us to seeing us for who we are. People in dire need of his mercy, his love, and his grace. God loves you. He wants to bestow his grace upon you. He knows who you are. This is the crazy thing. I've been married to my wife for almost 10 years. And what's crazy to me is being, I know it's not long for some of you. You're like, 10 years, it's nothing, right? Uh, it, it, but it feels like it's been a while, okay? Um, and what I, what I have found about, it doesn't feel like it's been forever. It feels like five minutes. Underwater. Uh, What I have learned about marriage, now that I have your attention, what I have learned about marriage is this, that the one who knows me the most loves me the most. And God is the same way. God knows you better than anyone in this world, and yet he still loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And if you've never believed in Jesus and what he has done for you, we would love to help you understand what that means and what that looks like and how you can become a follower of Jesus. But if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have believed in Jesus, the same gospel is true today as it was the moment you believed. Somehow we, we, sometimes we disconnect the, the, the message of hope and, and the gospel that's found when we come to know Jesus and, and then we begin to live our life on our own performance and we begin to live life uh, in our own righteousness and we think that this is all about what we can do now for God. We forget that we have to continue every day going back to what he has done for us. It's not about what I can do. It's all about what he has done. So when we see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are, we ought to have the same response as the tax collector did, which is to confess, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Would you pray with me right now? And in this moment of prayer and stillness and quiet, 
I wanna just give you an opportunity to do a quick examination of your own heart, of your own life, and respond. Maybe you need to believe in Jesus and accept his love and his mercy. Maybe you have, and you need to just rest in the identity that's found only in him, not in yourself. Just take a moment right now. God, we bow before you today. God, because we understand who you are. You are such an awesome God, almighty, all-powerful, the creator of the universe. And yet, even though you created us and we chose to walk away from you, you chose to love us. You chose to accept us. You chose to give us mercy and grace and love. And so, Father, help us right now as we look and we see you for who you are. Help us to see us for who we are, simply people in need of you. God, I pray that we would think more like you today. And I pray that if there's somebody here who doesn't yet believe, hasn't yet become a follower of Jesus, that they would seek us out, that they would go out to the green wall today or find a pastor in the lobby and find someone that they came with and talk with them about how they can come to know you and have a relationship with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?